0: Confession is important because what you hide can't be healed. Let me say that again what you hide can't be healed.
1: Welcome to the Plainfield Christian Church Podcast. We hope that the message today encourages you. For additional resources to inspire you in your journey with Christ, go to plainfieldchristian.com. Enjoy today's podcast.
0: Morning, church. Uh, My name's Luke. I get to serve as one of the ministers here at PCC. If you would, open your Bibles with me this morning to Ephesians chapters four and five. Ephesians chapters four and five is where we're gonna be. But before we dive into the message, I do wanna just take a moment and acknowledge the situation uh, that's going on around the world. Uh, Riley mentioned to us earlier, and I love hearing about the work that God is doing here in Hendricks County through your generosity and God's grace through this church, but also all around the world in places like Papua New Guinea, through the Hardys. Um, But we also support another ministry in Ukraine called TCI. Uh, And TCI is a school that trains ministers there in Ukraine, sends them out to work in local churches, and actually trains people to become ministers all over a lot of those countries that are former Soviet bloc countries. And uh, we just had some of our very dear friends from TCI, Valak and Sergei here among us a couple months ago. They ate ate dinner at my home. We love them, but they're in an incredibly tense and precarious situation right now. So we want to just lift our brothers and sisters around the world up before the Father in prayer this morning. Would you join me in prayer. Father in heaven, we love you. You are a good creator, God, and you created all the people in the world. And we look forward to the day, Father in heaven, when we're gonna get to worship around your throne with people from every tongue and tribe and nation who are our brothers and sisters in your family. We look forward to that. We know even here as we gather this morning that we're not the only people gathering. There's a lot of other churches that you love here in Hendricks County, and there's a lot of other churches that you love all around the world. I think of our brothers and sisters in places like Afghanistan uh, who are gathering this morning to worship you as your people, knowing that in doing so, they're putting their very lives at risk. And so we ask, Father, that you would provide for them and protect them and enable them to maintain their witness um, Lord, even in deep moments of crisis that they face, I ask that you would give them courage that in those moments they would still be able to stand and to say confidently that you are King of kings and Lord of lords. And we ask that you would shine brightly through them. Father, I I think of our, our high schoolers who are on a retreat this weekend. And I pray that as they're gathering for worship this morning, you would speak through Derek, that you'd speak through the other adult sponsors among them. We know that's such a critical age um, that so many people who become followers of Jesus do so in that little window of years. And so this morning, today, to them, Lord, call them to yourself. And even, Lord, speak to them and call some of them into full-time kingdom work. This is our prayer. And Lord, we lift our brothers and sisters at TCI up to you and all the surrounding churches there in Ukraine. We ask that you'd provide for them, that you would protect them, that you would enable them in the middle of all this tension and uncertainty to declare the gospel hope that you are still the God of the world, that you still reign, that you are still good, and that you have a plan and you are working it through to completion. We know, Lord, um, that even though there's no perfect country, you do use the empires of the world still to do your will sometimes. And so we ask for the leaders of our nation and every other nation that you would give them wisdom and that your kingdom come and that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. And in Jesus' name, all God's people said. Amen, amen. Uh, Just out of curiosity, for the game this evening, how many of you are rooting for the Cincinnati Bengals? Anybody show hands? All right, how many of you are rooting for the Rams? Anybody, Rams, okay. How many of you are like, the only bowl I care about is a super big bowl of chips and queso? Anybody else? (laughs) All right, okay. Here's kind of how I'm feeling about the game. This picture explains it all for me. I'm just happy Tom Brady's not there. (laughs) Anybody else, can I get an amen today? (laughs) Woo, It's gonna be a good night. You know, I got a text from a buddy a few days ago. Uh, Let me read it to you. And I quote, uh, this is what he says in this text. He says, hey, I know it's kind of late notice, so help me, by the way, if any of you call me right now. We're not friends anymore, all right? But he said... He said, hey, I know it's late notice, but a friend of mine has two tickets for the Super Bowl in Inglewood, California at SoFi Stadium on Sunday, February 13th. They are box seats that he spent $4,500 a piece for, which include a ride from the airport, an open bar, and a pass to the winner's locker room. Amazing, right? But, text goes on, says, what he did not realize was that last year when he purchased them that this was the same day as his wedding. Ooh. (laughs) That's not all though, the text goes on. It says, if you're interested, he's looking for someone to take his place. It's at St. Paul's church at 3 p.m. Her name is Ashley. (laughs) She's a good cook and enjoys the outdoors. Listen, I made some really dumb decisions in my life, y'all, but I think that one takes the cake. Anybody else made some dumb decisions in here before? Yeah, I think, I think, listen, like if we wrote our autobiography, each and every one of us would have a chapter entitled Things I Should Not Have Done. And let me tell you, mine is a very long chapter. And some of those things are funny, but they also the reality that we got to acknowledge together is that some of those things are just not. Some of those things are painful and they are hurtful. So I just wanna pose one question to you this morning and then I wanna explore it together. And the question is this, what do you do with your darkness? What do you do with your darkness? That's the question that Paul is exploring here in Ephesians chapters four and five. Ephesians is this letter written to an ancient church, written by a guy who was one of the leaders of the early Christians, his name was Paul. And we've been exploring this letter in a series that we're calling Sit, Walk, Stand, And so the first couple of weeks, we always talked about how the Christian life starts with sitting. It starts with resting in what God has done for us through Jesus. It doesn't start by saying, hey, do this It starts by saying it has already been done that we believe in that cross. We believe that when Jesus died on that cross, he took everything. He accomplished all the work. He said it is finished. And now we just rest in that. So we talked about sitting under God's grace and sitting under God's power that the Christian life always starts right there with trusting in Jesus. Can I, can I tell you a, a proud dad moment that I had recently? Um, how many of you have liked the snow the past week and a half ago? Okay, we, we've got some curmudgeons in the room. I acknowledge that, right? But like in the Proctor house with three little boys, the past week and a half has been awesome. We've been loving it, sledding, snowball fights, the whole nine yards, you know. And uh, I think last weekend, actually, my oldest son, Judah, he's four. I think he said every day that weekend, this is the best day ever, you know, just awesome. I love it. You know, it's magical. Um, But last weekend at one point, I was home for lunch and uh, we sat down to eat lunch and Judah was gonna pray for lunch. But before he prayed, he looked out the window and he saw the snow on the ground and then he bowed his head to pray. And he said, dear God, thank you for washing our sins as white as snow. (laughs) I have no greater joy than to know that my children are walking in the truth. Can I get an amen? (laughs) And we wanna raise up a generation of young people here that know without a shadow of a doubt that they are loved by their Father in heaven, that when Jesus died on the cross, he washed their sins as white as snow and that they can be made new in baptism, that Jesus' resurrection was their resurrection and he has an amazing life plan for them. The Christian life always starts by sitting right there in that reality. And then from that, from there, then we can walk the walk of faith. And so then we talked about walking together, but today we're talking about walking in light, walking in light. So what do you do with your darkness? But before we answer that question, we kinda have to acknowledge the fact that at the very least, before Jesus, we were in darkness. Paul talks about this pre-Jesus life in Ephesians chapter five. He says, for once you were darkness. Now that was pre-Jesus, but now Paul says, now you are light in the Lord. So Paul says, live as children of light. Literally, he says, walk as children of the light. For the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. So Paul's saying here that before Jesus, it's not even just that we were in darkness. He says, we were darkness, And in the chapter right before this, in Ephesians four, Paul goes into greater detail of describing what this life of darkness, this pre-Jesus life was. And this sounds a whole lot like my life before Jesus. See if it sounds like yours. Paul says in Ephesians four, 17 through 24, he says, so I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. Now see if this describes your pre-Jesus experience like it describes mine. Paul says they're darkened in their understanding. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted in its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So Paul's saying that before Jesus, we were in darkness. And he says that means a few things. Hey, that means that we couldn't think straight, means that we were separate from God, means that our hearts were hard, means that we were desensitized to evil, means that we were enslaved to our desires, but now Paul says we are in Christ. We talked about this, like putting the dollar bill in the book, right? That when you're a follower of Jesus, what is true of him becomes true of you, so that now in this new self, we put off the old self. And here's what Paul says the new self is supposed to be. He says, created to be like God. God created you to be like God. Say created to be like God. That's his purpose for your life. Paul echoes that again in chapter five. He says, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children. He doesn't say, hey, be like God so you can try to get on his good side and go to heaven. He says, no, you've been adopted into God's family. You're his dearly loved children. Just try to be like your dad. Verse eight, he says, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. So live as children of the light. God made you and God saved you so that you could be like him and that means that we're called to live as children of the light. Why? Because God is light. You might know this. You know, on the very first page of our Bible, God speaks everything into existence out of nothing and the very first words we hear God say, Genesis chapter one, verse three, God said, let there be Light. And then on the very last page of the Bible, in Revelation chapter 22, verse 5, God remakes everything, new heavens, new earth, and it says that on that day, in that place, there will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light. That's awesome. God gives light because God is light, and if we're called to be like him, that means we're called to walk in the light. John says it like this, in 1 John chapter one, he says, this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light. In him there's no darkness at all. So if we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and don't live out the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. That's good news, can I get an amen this morning? Yeah, it's good news. You might remember when Jesus came to earth, he said that he's the light of the world. John chapter eight, verse 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So not only is Jesus the light of the world, but if we have union with Christ, if we're in him, then what is true of him becomes true of us. And that means that we are the light of the world too. Jesus says in Matthew chapter five, he says, you are the light of the world. So we are called to shine God's light to a dark world. Now, any history geeks in the room like me, I'm a total history nerd. Maybe you've heard the story. Nobody raised their hands, nobody's brave enough. You gonna leave me on an island like that? Okay, thank you, okay. Maybe some, somebody laugh, that makes me feel good. I, I take pity laughs, I don't know if you guys know this. I'm not above that, I just need help here, okay? When you guys interact with me, that's like saying, sick him to a hound dog. You gotta help me sometimes, okay? I don't know, some of you may have heard the story of the USS Indianapolis before. The Indianapolis was a warship in World War II, um, but on July 30th, 1945, the Indianapolis was torpedoed by a Japanese submarine, and the ship sank in just 12 minutes. It took 300 sailors down under the water with her, but 900 sailors managed to get off of the boat in time and survive the initial explosion and sinking, and they were just left there floating in the water. 900 The problem was though that nobody else knew that the Indianapolis had been sunk. And so for days, these 900 sailors floated there in the water, many of them suffering from injuries and and fatigue, lack of food. They're trying to stay afloat in this water that's coated with a thick black oil from the ship and they're suffering from the 100 degree heat that is scorching them in the day and then the frigid water at night. But the most terrifying thing of all was that sharks came and started to pick off these struggling sailors one by one by one but what killed even more sailors than the sharks was the lack of fresh water. Now you'd know this if you've ever got ocean water in your mouth. Like if, when you drink salt water, it actually dehydrates you more quickly. And so imagine being these sailors floating there for days, scorching in the sun, you're dying of thirst. It was so hard for them to realize that this crystal clear water all around them wasn't actually fit to drink. And so some of them finally would lose their resolve and they would give in and they would take a drink and they'd get dehydrated and they'd die just like that. And that's the way of the world. Like the devil would love to try to get you to drink salt water to satisfy your thirst. He knows you're thirsty. And he knows that he can get you with some stuff that really looks good. To try to chase that satisfaction. So go, go chase a sexual thrill outside of marriage. Go spin your wheels, burning the candle at both ends, trying to get that promotion or pad your resume or get a fad or bank account or get somebody who's really going to make your, meet your needs and, and make you feel good. But listen, it's just salt water. I promise, Jesus said it's not going to satisfy. You know, after four days of floating there alone in the ocean, the number of survivors had dropped from 900 to below 400. And still, nobody had any idea the Indianapolis had been sunk until an airplane flying overhead noticed the oil slick in the water, saw some sailors floating there and immediately radioed the nearest ship. It was a smaller vessel called the USS Doyle. Now, the captain of the Doyle had strict orders to head south. But when the captain of the Doyle heard about these sailors stranded in the water getting picked off by sharks, he disobeyed those orders and immediately turned around, went full steam ahead to the north to try to rescue them. But eventually, the captain of the Doyle realized that he was too far away. He wasn't gonna be able to reach the sailors by nightfall. And so the captain of the Doyle did something absolutely unthinkable. He ordered that the ship's spotlight be turned on and aimed straight up into the night sky. Now, that's crazy. Because every sailor knows that at wartime, you run a dark ship. Because in the dark night, any little bit of light from a cracked door or a lantern or even somebody on the deck smoking a cigarette, that's a clue to a submarine showing them right where you are. So to shine a spotlight right up into the dark night sky, that's suicidal. It's a terrible decision if you're trying to stay safe. But it's a brilliant decision if you're trying to save lives. Because the captain of the Doyle knew that those men out there floating in the dark, threatened by the sharks and tempted by the salt water, they needed some kind of hope to cling to. And so when those sailors all alone saw that beacon shining in the dark, they knew that help was on the way. Just one more night. And so the next day when the Doyle arrived, many of the sailors said that, yeah, it was that light that got them through. And this is our call, church, when Jesus says to us, you are the light of the world, when Paul says to us, walk as children of the light, our call is to shine a beacon into the darkness of the world out there and to show them that they have the hope of a better way, that they don't need to drink the salt water. And, and we know that when we've been adopted into God's family, when we've experienced this union with Christ, what's true of him is true of us, we become children of light, that our sins are totally and completely forgiven. But that doesn't mean we're completely sin-free, does it? And so the rest of the Christian life becomes this process of just trying to let Jesus shine in the the dark corners of our hearts and allow his light to have more of us. Then I want you to know that I stand up here preaching every week, not as somebody who has it all figured out, not as somebody whose life is 100% put together. I'm always standing up here as a fellow struggler. I'm standing up here as one beggar who's just trying to show some other beggars where I found bread. So my question for you this morning, for all of us, is what are you gonna do with your darkness? What are you gonna do with it? because we've all got it. Maybe it's your short temper that is alienating and pushing the people around you away, keeps everybody around you on edge. Maybe it's your growing bitterness towards somebody in your family that's poisoning your heart. Maybe it's your drinking habit. It's getting out of control and the people around you see it, but you don't. Maybe your hidden porn problem is wreaking havoc on your marriage. Maybe your flirting at work is leaning your family down a path of destruction. Maybe you're in a relationship with somebody who's leading you further away from Jesus and you know you shouldn't be, but you just like it. Maybe your money habits are driving you deeper and deeper into debt and into shame and you feel like you just gotta keep them a secret because it's out of control. Maybe your self-righteous spirit at work is causing people to avoid you and it's tainting your witness. Maybe your harsh and judgmental attitude is costing you a relationship with your grandkids. I don't know what it is, but I know we all have it. So my question for you this morning is, what are you going to do with your darkness? You have some options. Option number one, you can hide it. You know, you can go around putting on a mask put on a face and you can come to church and sit next to other people who look like they have their lives together. They look like their lives are perfect, but you sit in church and you're sweating and you're scared like a long-tailed cat in a room full of rocking chairs. (sighs) And you're thinking, man, what if they found out? Like, what if, heaven forbid, what if my life wasn't perfect? What if it got out that I have a little brokenness I'm still working through? What if they found out? What would they possibly think of me? And so you just stay in the dark. And you hide it, you can hide it. You can deny it. You're a smart person, you know how to jump through all the right mental hoops to convince yourself that you're okay and that you don't need help. You can delay it. You can say, no, not right now, I got enough going on, enough, I'll take care of it another time. Or you can justify it, we're really good at that. You think, no, I mean, it's not that big a deal, it happened a couple times, you know, it was a long time ago. Um, yeah, I can't help how I feel. Definitely not as bad as that guy. And, and, and if, if, if my wife was just more attentive, if my husband wasn't so distant and so critical, if my boss just wasn't so unfair, you can justify it. You can attack it. You can say, yeah, I don't, I don't like this part of me, so I'm gonna try harder to do better, and I'm just gonna buckle down, and I'm gonna grit my teeth, and I'm not gonna let it happen again. Or you can escape it because the darkness is uncomfortable. And so you spend every moment filling your ears with noise and every spare second looking at your phone, anything to keep the darkness away because the darkness is uncomfortable. Even if you gotta medicate to stay away from it. You, you eat a little too much, you, you drink a little too much, you pop a pill every now and then, you get out the credit card, you go on a shopping spree because that makes you feel better. You, you, you scroll on your phone somewhere you shouldn't. What do you do with your darkness? It depends. I mean, if you, if you think you have to start with walking instead of with sitting, if you think it's up to you, then you can hide it, delay it, deny it, attack it, escape it. But if you start with sitting, if you really rest in the fact that Jesus did actually die for you, and he does already know, and that he really will shower you with his grace, if you sit right there and you actually trust him, well, then there's only one option left. Take a look at this video.
1: At some point, all of us find ourselves at a fork in the road in our spiritual lives. Suddenly you find yourself staring down two paths, two distinctly different paths. One says, pleasing God the other says trusting God you look at the trusting God sign you think it sounds good except it doesn't give me a whole lot to do it's too passive it's like uh, if we're gonna do this Christian life I mean really do it then then we're gonna have to have a little bit something more than just trust right so you look back at the pleasing God sign now now that makes sense Right? I mean, because after all he's done for us, the least we can do is please him. So this path leads to the Room of Good Intentions. Oh, man, it is an impressive room. My golly, with impressive people, passionate people. You're surprised to see that everyone in this room is wearing masks but they are immaculate and beautiful, like the mask they hand to you. Everyone here is doing just fine. Everyone's serious about working on their sin and on their disciplines and trying to keep God pleased with them. There's an unspoken message in this room. God loves you always, but he likes you a lot less when you mess up. Still, you join this impressive group of people in this impressive room and And really, for the most part, um, you actually uh, are coming up to standard on most days. I mean really you're 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 doing okay. It's like you remember uh, to read your Bible, you pray for others and you're even reading a couple of chapters in that book that everybody's raving about. God's God's uh, glad that you're doing your to-do list. He's not happy about your thoughts, though. He's disappointed that. If you were serious about your sin, you 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 would fix that. After a while, you, you realize nobody in this room really knows you. They know your mask, but they don't know what you look like behind the mask. They don't know that you're struggling. They don't know that In spite of all your passionate sincerity, you don't believe that you really have pleased God for a minute of your life. You're exhausted, bluffing and faking like you have it together. And so one night when nobody's looking, you slip out the back. Bone tired and dejected and disillusioned you walk out onto the path until you hit the fork in the road again trusting God well if there is no other option and you find yourself out on the path that leads to the room of grace (laughs) it's a lot less impressive room but it is Infinitely more inviting. Oh, you are welcomed into this loud conversation. And there are sincere smiles. Oh my, there's not a mask to be seen anywhere. The people in this room, they are messy, but honest. They they tell each other the truth about themselves and what they're struggling with. And nobody's trying to pretend like they've got it all together. There's, there's a silent message in this room, too. It says, God is delighted with you, wild about you, regardless of how you behave. The people in this room actually seem to believe that God loves them and likes them all the time, even when they mess up. After a while in this room, you find yourself slowly starting to tell the truth about yourself and the things you struggle with. And you are shocked to discover that God is right here in the midst of it. His arm tightly around you, loving you, enjoying you. He smiles at you and he says, (laughs) You know, I really am big enough to handle your stuff, all of it. It doesn't surprise me. It doesn't shock me. It never comes between you and me. I am crazy in love with you on your very worst day. Now listen to me. I just want you to... Trust me with who I say you are, and I want you to learn to let other people love you with all your stuff. It will free you to love like crazy because you will have experienced being loved.
0: So what will you do with your darkness? Because if we start right here with sitting, with trusting him, if you trust that yes, on Good Friday, the afternoon sky that was bright grew as black as the night as the Son of God hung there on the cross bleeding for your sin and for mine and he was buried in the tomb and he paid the price. And that on resurrection Sunday morning, when the sun rose and shone into that empty tomb, it can shine into our hearts too. If you believe that, if you really, really trust that the light of Jesus can shine, even in the darkest places, if you trust that, then we really only have one option left, don't we? And it's to confess it. To confess it. Here's what Paul says in Ephesians 5.14. He says, this is why it is said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. You guys... You no, know, like when you walk into your kid's room and you flip the light on, like what do they do? Like, ah, you know, they hide under the covers. I don't know which one of you is still hiding in the darkness. I don't know who needs to hear this this morning, but I believe that somebody in here does and I believe you know who you are. Wake up, sleeper. Rise from the dead. Christ will shine on you. And listen, here's why we believe confession is important, not because we like to throw shame on people, not because we like to gossip, not because we think awkward conversations are fun. Trust me, they're not, okay? But we believe that confession is important because what you hide can't be healed. Let me say that again. What you hide can't be healed. Pastor Rick Warren says, you're only as sick as your secrets, And some of you in here today, you've been following Jesus for a long time and you believe, you really believe that Jesus did die for you. He did pay for your sins, that he really did forgive you. And yet there's still a deeper trust structure in your heart that wonders, well, yeah, but could his grace go really this far? Could his light really shine into that dark place? Has he really forgiven me? And when you look back, the memories of the past still hurt and the shame still keeps you shackled. And some of you in here, you're not followers of Jesus this morning, and you have come in here carrying the burden of a sin sick soul. And you feel the oppression of the darkness, and you don't know what to do with it. And the answer is the same for both of us we confess it, we drag our darkness into the light. And confession is an interesting thing because yes, confession is between us and God. Like confession is something you should do personally just between you and God, to confess your darkness to him, to allow his light to shine on you, to say, yes, Lord, I'm gonna trust you. Do that with him. But confession is also really important face-to-face with another human being. In a big church like this, it's really easy to get lost. It's really easy to stay anonymous. And so if you wanna be known, you gotta take the first step. And so it's really important that you're plugging in that you're getting involved in a group of people that will look you in the eyes on a regular basis and you know their baggage and they know yours and they're going to speak the truth to you you're going to speak the truth to them and you're going to love each other anyway. And here's why that's important because we believe that God speaks in three primary ways. God speaks through his word, he speaks through his spirit, and he speaks through his people. And so when you actually bring your darkness to light in front of another Christian brother or sister, you actually get to hear with your own ears, God say to you, you are forgiven. You're forgiven. Last week, we talked about Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a Christian leader in Nazi Germany, stood against the Third Reich. He was executed in a concentration camp later on. And he wrote this phenomenal little book called Life Together about Christian community. Let me read what Bonhoeffer says about this. Bonhoeffer says, our brother has been given to us to help us. He hears the confession of our sins in Christ's stead and he forgives our sins in Christ's name. He keeps the secret of our confession as God keeps it. When I go to my brother to confess, I am going to God. Bonhoeffer goes on to say that a man who confesses his sins in the presence of a brother knows that he's no longer alone with himself. He experiences the presence of God in the reality of the other person. As long as I'm by myself in the confession of my sins, everything remains in the dark. But in the presence of a brother, the sin has to be brought into the light. And I know this to be true in my own life. The moments in my life where I have felt most loved are the moments when I bring my darkness into the light in front of another brother or sister, and I get to know without a shadow of a doubt that in that moment, in my messiest, most disgusting moment, I'm still loved by that person and I'm still loved by my Father in heaven. And that is an unspeakable kind of joy and confidence that I want you to be able to have as well. So what are you gonna do with your darkness? Uh, First John chapter one, we read it earlier that talks about how God is light and we're supposed to walk as children of the light. Goes on to say this. He says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Now that, that's good news. That's really good news. And so what are you gonna do with your darkness? Steve texted me this morning and he said, hey, remember that the mark of a good preacher is not that the church leaves saying, what a lovely sermon. It's that they leave ready to do something. The gospel is good news that is announced and always demands a response from us. So we're gonna have an opportunity for you to respond today. This is not just a rhetorical question. When we move into the new worship center, over there in that corner, like if you exit, go over there, in that room, there's, a, there's a, some couches, some little chairs over there. That's gonna serve as a little prayer room for us, a little response room. we on a regular basis. There's gonna be people over there ready to, for you to respond. So like if you're here and you're ready to become a follower of Jesus or explore what that looks like and you're not, go over there. You can go right now. You can go after the service. You can go during the last song. Go over there. There's going to be a couple of our elders over there and they're going to be ready to pray for you and to talk with you. If you have some kind of physical weakness, if you've just been dealing with health stuff, they have some oil and they're ready to anoint you with that. That seems a little weird, but it's just a way of setting you aside and setting you apart for God's special care. If you're going through some relational difficulties or some spiritual oppression, there's some stuff at work, whatever it is, and you just need to talk with somebody, you just need to pray it out, go pray with them. And some of you have been living in a secret for a long, long time, and your soul is sick because of it, and you need to be healed and if the Holy Spirit's been moving on your heart, please, 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 don't put it off. Go go, talk, go pray with those elders. They would love, love, love. And I promise you will not be met with guilt. You will not be met with fear. You will not be met with shame. You will be showered with the grace of Jesus. Let me close with a story. There was once a great and noble king whose land was terrorized by a wicked and crafty dragon. And like a massive bird of prey, the scaly beast delighted in ravaging villages with his fiery breath, Hapless victims ran from their burning homes only to be snatched into the dragon's jaws or talons. The king led his sons and his knights in many valiant battles against the dragon. But one day, riding alone in the forest, one of the king's sons heard his name being purred soft and low. The young prince thought for a moment that maybe he was hearing things. He felt a strange hesitation in his heart. But again, his name was called And he looked and there in the shadows of the trees, curled among the boulders, lay the dragon. The eyes of the creature fastened ablaze on the prince and the reptilian mouth stretched into a seductive smile. The dragon said, don't be alarmed, as gray wisps of smoke rose lazily from his nostrils. The dragon said, I'm I'm not what your father thinks of me. What are you then, demanded the prince, instinctively drawing his sword. The dragon said, I'm more than what you've been told, my prince. I am delight. I am pleasure. Noticing the prince's hesitation, the dragon said, Come, ride on my back. You'll experience what only few can imagine, what no king has yet experienced. Come now, believe me, I have no harmful intentions, truly. I seek only a friend, someone to share my flights with me. I'm lonely. Have you never dreamed of flying, my prince? Have you never longed to soar in the clouds? Have you never longed to take what isn't yours? The prince felt intoxicated. Was it the smoke that seemed to curl its way toward him with every word, or was it the words themselves? Visions of soaring high above the forested hills of his father's kingdom drew the prince down from his horse, and the dragon, the dragon was stunning. The prince had never seen emeralds so green as the dragon's coat. As he marveled at its strange beauty, his curiosity brought him closer. And knowingly, the dragon unfurled one great webbed wing, brilliantly adorned in gemstones stolen from some kingdom past. Come, my prince, come ride with me. And in one fateful decision, the prince sheathed his sword and placed his hands and feet on the brilliant stones and climbed atop the serpent's back. The dragon rose. Immediately to its feet, the prince had been deceived of its size, for now it seemed more powerful and immense than many horses. The creature snapped its great wings twice, launching them both into the sky, and the prince's apprehension melted into exhilaration as he felt the awesome rule of the wind beneath him and the fragrant breeze on his face. From then on, he met the dragon often, but secretly for how could he tell his brothers and his father that he had befriended the kingdom's greatest enemy? The prince began to feel separate eventually from everyone. The kingdom's concerns were no longer his. Even when he wasn't stealing away secretly to be with the dragon, he spent less time with those he loved. More and more he spent his time alone or with the creature. The skin on the prince's legs began to callous from gripping the dragon's ridged back. His hands grew rough. And hardened, he started wearing gloves to hide it. With dread, he realized that scales were even growing on the back of his hands. He realized his fate if he were to continue riding the dragon, and so he said, no more. But after a couple weeks, he sought the dragon out again because he was just tortured with desire. And so in this way, it transpired many times over No matter what the determination, the prince eventually found himself pulled back to the dragon and the dragon's charms that were so gentle in the beginning now held the prince more tightly than he had the will to resist. Silently, patiently, the serpent waited, always waited. One cold moonless night, their excursion became an attack against the sleeping village. The dragon torched the thatched roofs with fiery blasts from his nostrils, and he roared with delight when the terrified victims fled from their burning homes. Swooping in, the dragon belched again, and flames engulfed a cluster of screaming villagers. The prince closed his eyes tightly in an attempt to shut out the horror and the carnage, but he could not. And sometimes he even allowed himself to feel the thrill. Then in bitter remorse, his heart sinking in shame, he he tried to hide himself, but the flames of the burning village lighted on his face. And in the pre-dawn hours, when the prince crept back from his dragon rides, the road outside his father's castle was usually empty, but not tonight. Terrified refugees streamed into the protective walls of the castle. The prince attempted to slip through the crowd to close himself in its chambers, but some of the survivors stared and they pointed at him. One woman cried out, he was there. I saw him on the dragon's back. Others nodded their heads in agreement. Some stared in disbelief and growing recognition. The prince was horrified when he saw his father, the king, in the courtyard holding a blood-stained and seemingly dead child in his arms. The king's face mirrored the agony of the child's mother. The king heard the angry cries and looked up, and his eyes found the prince's the son fled, hoping to escape into the night, but the guards apprehended him as if he were a common thief. They brought him into the great hall where his father sat solemnly on his throne and people on every side hurled their accusations against the prince. Banish him, he heard one of his own brothers cry. Burn him alive, other voices shouted. Let him burn the way he burned our children in our homes. As the king arose from his throne, bloodstains shone darkly on his royal robes. And the crowd fell silent in expectation of his decree. The prince, he couldn't bear to look into his father's face, and so he stared down at the floor when the king commanded him, take off your gloves and your tunic. Was his shame not already enough? The prince had hoped for a quick death without further humiliation, but now he resigned himself to his fate, and he obeyed. Slowly, agonizingly, dreading to have his metamorphosis uncovered before the kingdom. Sounds of revulsion rippled through the crowd, and parents covered their children's eyes at the sight of the prince's thick, scaled skin and the ridge that was now growing upward along his spine. He was horrible. The sight was so ghastly that many just turned away in disgust. But the king strode toward his son. The prince readied himself. He fully expected a backhanded blow, even though he'd never been struck by his father. Instead, his father pulled him to himself and embraced him and held him tightly and wept. In shocked disbelief, the prince buried his face against his father's shoulder and tears began to burn down his scorched cheeks. The king said, do you wish to be freed from the dragon, my son? The prince answered in despair, father, I've I've wished this so many times, but, but I know there's no hope for me. The king said, not alone, you cannot win against the serpent alone. The prince sobbed bitterly, but I'm I'm no longer your son, I'm half beast. He began to convulse in such cruel remorse that even the villagers pitied him. But his father replied, my blood still runs in your veins. My nobility has always been stamped deep within your soul. And with his face still hidden tearfully in his father's embrace, the prince heard the king instruct the crowd and say, the dragon is crafty. Some fall victim to his schemes, for he is a great deceiver. And some fall to his violence, for he has only wickedness in his heart. But there will be mercy for all who wish to be freed. Who else among you has ridden the dragon? The prince lifted his head to see someone emerge from the crowd, and to his amazement it was his older brother, who had been lauded throughout the kingdom for his battles against the dragon. Others came. Some came weeping. Others hung their heads in shame. But the king embraced them all. This is our most powerful weapon against the dragon, the king announced. Truth. No more hidden flights. Alone, we cannot resist him. So, what will you do with your darkness? Let's pray. King Jesus, we trust you, you are good. You have finished the work. We rest in your grace and in your power. And from there, Father, we ask, I ask for my brothers and sisters here in this room, that you would give them the courage to step into the light, that we would wake up, that we would rise from the dead, and that you would shine on us, Lord, and that we would know your freedom and your peace. We love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.
1: Thank you for listening to the podcast today. It's our desire for you to grow in your understanding of Christ's love and our mission to love all people to new life in Christ. If you would like to receive our podcast every week, we encourage you to subscribe to the Plainfield Christian Church Podcast on whatever podcasting platform you prefer. Have a great week.